Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello and welcome to the Olive Magazine podcast. My name is Laura Rowe and I'm the editor of Olive and the host of this regular and brilliant roundup of all things food, drink and travel related. This week, Olive's editorial assistant Ellie chatted to the founders and head chefs of the Ethicurium restaurant, Matthew and Ian Pennington. The Southwest Dream Team are in London for a rooftop residency at John Lewis on Oxford Street and reveal all to us about their unusual Victorian inspired menu. Food director Janine and digital intern Amanda discuss freezer best and worst practice and talk about some of the great new freezer-friendly recipes we have in our new issue. And web editor and travel fanatic Alex shares her top tips for eating out in Stockholm and her guide to the best Christmas markets. First up though, here's Matthew and Ian with Ellie. Hello, I'm Ellie and I'm here today with Matthew and Ian Pennington, who are head chefs of the Epicurean, which is a restaurant just outside of Bristol. But this winter, they're at the Gardening Society doing a winter residency at John Lewis. Hello. Hi. Hello. Welcome. (laughs) So tell us a bit about the Epicurean first as a restaurant in general. Um, Okay, so we set up in 2010 um, and we're based in a Victorian wall garden. Uh, there's a gardener there that's growing all of a lot of produce within the wall garden. Um, it, sits in, it sits in an orchard, yeah, in yeah Beautiful the bucolic yeah. Mendip Hills. It's yeah, stunning. <laughs> Sounds lovely. Um, and so it's a bit different coming up here. And it is, but it's also quite similar. Oddly <laughs> yeah. enough, yeah, it's been quite surprising. It felt like there's a little bit of like a little bit of a garden up here. Well, yeah, there's yeah, a lot. Yeah. Of, obviously, you can't see it, but there's yeah. a lot of greenery, a lot of trees. We've and been catching lights. the same sort of uh, sunsets. Yeah, and, yeah. <laughs> yeah <laughs> from home to home, home, really. Yeah. <laughs> Very much so. Yeah, yeah we were, actually the walk to work here is through Regent's Park, which oh, is just idyllic. Lovely, it's, it's so nice. So yeah, it feels kind of not too far away from home. So that's nice. Yeah, and the menu that you've done here is different from the one in Bristol, isn't it? So yeah. it's yeah. inspired by historic London recipes. Can you tell us a bit about that? Well, I mean, that's part of our remit, really, is to try and look at as closely as we can to what you know where we're working at any point, and so. Imagine if we'd go and do something similar in Scotland, we'd look really closely right. to doing that. But um, but so for London influence, we were looking at ancient recipes, things that would be quite homely, um, yeah. looking at spice roots. Okay. You know, um, and just trying to find an offering that kind of really hits for winter. And, yeah, comfort you know, food. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Hearty, wholesome <laughs> you know, warm, warming dishes. And have a lot of those dishes come from, have you, like, adapted them from the menu you have in Bristol anyway? We've brought, straight away, we've brought our Welsh rabbit, which is, you know, legendary (laughs) back in the West Country, so we thought we'd bring it over to London. Um, And we brought our stout pudding as well, so steamed chocolate stout pudding, um, which is delicious. Um, uh, We've done an an adaptation of a sticky toffee apple cake. Yes. Um, Can you tell us a bit about that? Because I have heard it's legendary, so... <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, I mean, we're we're actually quite far away from our kitchen back at home here, so we've had to have... Uh, we've had to basically make that in London. So we thought, oh, why don't we make a twist on it for yeah. here? 
Um, we had a look at some of the, I think it was the old historic docks where spices... West and, India docks, I think. Yeah, uh, uh, yeah. spices and, and the like would have rum, rum especially, sugar. Molasses, molasses, yeah. yeah okay. Dates. And so we actually kind of slightly twisted our cake around to right. take in some of those things. Nice, and that a London twist. Exactly yeah. right, yeah. 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 And we came up with some sort of like sweet shop kind of sherbet. With so, yeah, it's a cardamom sherbet that goes on top of it. I'm very um, excited to really try this later. <laughs> yeah, it's a really dark caramel that goes over the top as well. Yeah. Amazing. Um, Obviously, you chose to do the recipes because you're coming to London, but how did you find the recipes? Did you go out and search for them? Were they ones you already knew of? We do quite well for collections of old books because okay. it's been um, it's something that we've been through when we went to write a lot for our original cookbook. Right. Um, we referred back to quite a few of those. Um, and... We all, we, there was another London guidebook, the London Companion. Yeah, that's right, yeah. And that wasn't quite necessarily just a food book. It was more about what was going on in, in that sort of Victorian era. OK. And there was a mention of the London particular as a, as a soup. Right. Um, so we did some more research into that. And actually that's quite simple in its, in its makeup. Yeah. It's really hearty and warming and actually the recipe that we found, we've not really tweaked it too much. To well, that's what I was going to say because I feel like you hear Victorian recipes and you might think, ooh, not sure I really want to eat. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. Was it hard no, to <laughs> adapt some of the recipes? Or yeah, was we it... had a couple of surprises, but most of them in the, actually they're quite homely, comforting not, yeah. You know, they've got a certain sort nostalgia. of nostalgia flavour, you know. Yeah. Everybody loves, like, a, like a split a pea. And... Yeah, sure. <laughs> it's also, yeah. as a chef, you'll look at a recipe and you might not necessarily read it all. You'll go, OK, and because we cook how we cook, we take the ingredients from that and we'll probably cook in a way that yeah. we would treat those ingredients anyway. So Yeah, it's not that much so different. Exactly, we, you know. Yeah, season the same as exactly how it would be at our restaurant. And Yeah. Think, mm, we might pre-ferment the peas in it you know for an okay. extra couple of days to give you know a bit more boost, yeah you know, little tricks that we've learned through fermentation and the like from the garden and lovely um, but but largely that was that was just not too hard to adapt i think mm. yeah so what have you so is it the flavors mainly that you've gone for in the trying to get the victorian <clears throat> is it the flavors or the because you mentioned the spices yeah flavors so that... and spices that would have been a bit scarce of back yeah. the cardamom, cinnamon. Um, yeah, we tweak the toffee apple cake so it's got a bit of molasses through it as well and dates. Um, right. And that is kind of a nod to that West India dock that yeah. we've been imported up through the Thames. Um, and do you have a... Is there a, a pie on the menu? Yes, we've what's, got a veni- venison and smoked bacon pie with okay. um, port in it as well. Delicious. Um, yeah, that's a really simple dish. You know, it's just very good mashed potato, yeah. um, gravy and pie and... Jobs Everything again, you want you know. on a winter's <laughs> yeah, evening, really, exactly, isn't it? When yeah, you start yeah. outside. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> and so have you given, even though we're in London, have you given them all a Somerset twist still? Are you still focusing on... Probably gone something? for more of a London twist on stuff yeah. that we would have done back in the West Country, to be honest with you. Okay. Um, yeah, like Matthew said earlier, you know, if we had a restaurant in Scotland, then it would be much more of a Scottish influence just because of the history of history there and the ingredients yeah. that we'd be using. Whereas, I guess, London, we, we've taken that same approach that we did in the West Country yeah. um, and applied it to London. Yeah. We, we have, since we've got here, realised that you can pretty much get all of anything around here. <laughs> <laughs> you could have done any kind of menu. Yeah, that, that's been, very true, yeah. <laughs> you could have done a Scottish menu and it would have been yeah. fine. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but no, I think it's... I think comfort food is what everyone wants on a winter's that's evening, exactly right, it, yeah. So. yeah. Yeah, no, that's some of the great feedback we're getting at the moment. Is it? So, yeah, yeah. yeah. 
please. That's the focus. Yeah. So what else do you, would you... Is this the kind of thing that you like to do, kind of going around in the future, go to different places and adapt menus? Yeah. Sure, that... I mean, there's, there's restaurant too, potentially, on the horizon. Mm. Um, was going to be this year, but for various reasons, <laughs> it's not now not. But um, we are thinking about Edinburgh next year as a restaurant. Doing, yeah. Um, Potentially, you know, we'll see what comes from that. Giving it a Scottish um, twist. Yeah, yeah. I'd love to have a haggis. Uh, deep fried <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Haggis. Deep fried Mars bars, yeah, would yeah, they? Deep fried Mars bars. Would you bar venture out and try those? Or... <laughs> yeah, I think that's the thing they'd go you know? down there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and the foraging would be wild up there. It's incredible. Yeah. Do you do a lot of foraging? Is that. Yeah, that's key. Yeah. In the restaurant, yeah. yeah. Our whole chef team are out with us, you know. Okay. Yeah, we've got a head chef now who's absolutely. His knowledge has just exceeded. Yeah, uh, in the space really? of a couple of years, the amount he's wow. just got yeah. to find it. Yeah, so Is that, has he just kind of taught himself how to find it? Is that what you do? When he got the book from us, <laughs> and once we started showing him you yeah. know, what there was out there, it's like... He's, he's out there. He does miles every... Oh, every and day any off. day off, he'll do <laughs> wow. 12, 13-mile walks. Yeah. Um, yeah. <clears throat> and so does the... In the um, restaurant in Bristol, just yeah. outside of Bristol, does that... Does the menu change based on what you can find foraging? Is that a... yeah, for sure. I mean, yeah. what we can find foraging, what can you know, what's at its peak in the garden? Uh, the menu often changes twice in a day. Oh wow! Um, so it's it's hyper seasonal. Yeah, um, that is just really based good. on what what's good. Yeah, it's a complete reaction to what's there. Yeah, you know, we we're dealing with live crops as well. Yeah. So. And it's it's fascinating because we we have plants that you know you you can pick from within four different stages you know the roots and at the end um, shoots and then seed pods and yeah even when the gardener's pulling stuff out to throw it on the compost we'll, we'll say how can we have <laughs> well, the hearts actually... we have the hearts of that and <laughs> wow. you know and, and all the bolted stuff and just uh, turn it into ferment or amazing early yeah. autumn's a yeah. really busy time in the kitchen for us we <clears throat> basically because we have so many gluts of so many different types of produce we'll try and ferment as much as possible because yeah. come the hunger gap in spring there's literally nothing growing in the garden yeah and that's also a time when the menu is probably almost the most interesting because we've squirreled stuff away from the yeah. previous year so you're just putting stuff yeah together just pulling stuff out of the store cupboard yeah. amazing and, um, <laughs> like oh i forgot about that yeah <laughs> yeah it's exactly that yeah yeah, yeah. amazing yeah yeah. So has it been coming to London and not? I guess you can't. Have you been foraging still whilst you're in London? Do you know what the first thing? The first thing we found when we came up to the rooftop, growing in the, the <laughs> did in, you start searching? No, in, in the astroturf grass was yeah. a little elf cup mushroom. Really? In astroturf, yeah. like my, my head chef found it. He's like, come look at did this. Did you start cooking with it? <laughs> Don't think it was edible, but it was fascinating that in astroturf, that's amazing. On the rooftop of John Lewis, <laughs> who'd have thought? Yeah, yeah. So that was interesting. And there's definitely there's mushrooms growing in the Implanted, in the yeah. box edges round. Yeah. 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 Um, wow. But other than that, we haven't actually had time to get out too much yet. I want to go down to Richmond Park and recreate that. Fenton. Fenton. <laughs> yeah, definitely, yeah. Chase each other around. <laughs> Amazing. Bring the dog with us. Yeah. Why not? Yeah. Go yeah. for it. <laughs> Fab. Yeah. Thank you. I feel like we've all learned a bit, a lot about your restaurant. And I think everyone needs to come try the sticky toffee apple cake now yeah, as well definitely yeah fab thank, thank you guys oh really nice Love to meet you yeah. yeah next we have janine and amanda on freezing 
So it's Janine here and I've got Amanda. We're talking about freezing today. Hello. Hi, because we've got a lovely um, feature in our new issue, our new December issue, um, and it's called Frozen Assets. And it's all about, we were thinking about getting ahead for Christmas, getting ahead for entertaining and what kind of things you can freeze. So when crowds descend on you, you've got something tucked away, gold in the freezer. (laughs) Mm. Um, What's your freezer game, Amanda? (laughs) Well, I I massively, I wouldn't say I massively have one because like I'm not always in cooking every night right but if like on the weekend if I've got a spare Saturday and I go to the shops and I'm like oh, I'm just gonna stock off stock off and load of stuff um I wouldn't have a massive batch freezer I'll just like buy I think I get it from my mum like she'd go and buy like <laughs> loads of like meat and stuff I'm like I'll do that and I'll freeze everything but I haven't cooked anything yet it's just all in there so you're using it as kind of a stop off yeah. like you go do your shop you don't know when you're gonna cook no, it but you <laughs> just like getting it in advance but you're like that looks good yeah. yeah and then it's still in my freezer probably like six months later see that's not not, that's not great no. that would get you black mark in my book yeah it, and, if you are, I was going to ask you, if you are, say I do go and buy meat, yeah. how long would you say, say I've left it for six months, it's probably... Like... Yeah, I mean, it, it honestly depends on the quality of your freezer as well. Right. If you've got one of those massive, like, industrial chest freezers, you've obviously got a longer life. Right. So you would have to kind of, um, I know it's a bit rubbish to say that, but you should kind of consult your manual. If you've got one of those tiny little box freezers at the top of your fridge then no No. it's not going to be good after six months no um I think generally a a decent freezer it should be about three months but I I kind of advocate (laughs) doing on a a week-to-week basis dragging something out (laughs) having a look at what you've got and maybe trying to cook some of it (laughs) yeah exactly not leaving it in there for months and then well the one thing you don't want to do which I think a lot of people do is the freezer just becomes this like stopgap on the way to the bin I know (laughs) So what's your, like, freezer game, Janine? Like, you batch cooker? Um, I'm an avid batch cooker. So um, I make enough food for 16 people and then I freeze it. 16 people? Well, not 16, (laughs) but (laughs) if I'm making a curry, I'll make a huge batch. And then what I do is... um, I really carefully squirrel it away. So like before my husband can have too many extra helpings, yeah. oh. it goes in the top of my head. Nice. And then, you know, like it's sort of on the side, sort of ready to go in, in the, the freezer, freezer so he doesn't go back and snap on it. Do you like it. portion it? Because that's quite I do. I'm do, quite, I'm quite um, like... I think everyone knows I'm a massive fan of spag bol and I actually have spag bol Mondays <laughs> as a thing in my house. <laughs> everyone um, secretly loves a spag bol. So every, every sort of four weeks, I will make a huge batch of spag bol and then I portion it out into... Um, I think with stews as well, a really good thing is is freezer bags because they don't take up as much room yeah so I literally get one this is pathetic I get my scale <laughs> I get my scales out Do and it. I weigh I weigh out into bags um enough for for two and then sometimes I'll I'll weigh out like one portion things for Matt in case I'm going away yeah, and, yeah. and like leave him so I know, I know, I know. I'd, I'd never thought I'd be that organized <laughs> and like I've just found that I've got this kind of latent freezer oh. um but yeah and but I do find like a um, the main thing is if I'm not, I'm, I do a lot of cooking at night through for work, you know, for like testing recipes yeah. and development and stuff. Um, 
So if there's a night where I don't have to test a recipe or I'm not developing and there's something in this freezer, for me, it's just like gold having something like that because I'll just, we just pull it out of the freezer and, and we eat and we don't have to, oh God, no washing up. So, so I'm thinking about it. I'm just, it's making me feel yeah, really happy. I, think <laughs> I need to start doing this. But I'm thinking now I've got curry in the freezer that I'm going <laughs> to have it tonight. tonight. Yeah. yeah, nice. Yeah. And when you do cook something and you go to, ref- when you're going mm. to freeze it, do you let it cool for like a certain amount of time or can you yeah. get it warm? I mean, it's not, um, the, the danger is that you will sort of start things defrosting in your freezer. It doesn't right. really matter. If you had like a completely empty freezer, you could put something that was fairly warm okay. to hot in there. Yeah. And it wouldn't affect the food at all. In fact, it would be better because you're bringing it down to temperature. temperature. The, the, the problem arises, like if you put it next to say like a packet of mints and it started defrosting the mints right. because it was warm, you don't really want that. So I'd say like, just give it enough time to come down to, you know, roomish temperature. You don't need to chill it in the fridge or whatever and then just tuck it away in the yeah, freezer. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's that's probably the best and healthiest way of doing yeah. it. <laughs> and say, so say I've got my mints and I'm getting it out to defrost to make yeah. my spag bowl. Yeah. Can I then, because I think people worry about... Um, then refreezing the mints because they're like, oh, it's been defrosted, so now I have to eat it all. No, I think if it's if it's raw mints and you're defrosting it, then you're cooking it. Of course, you can then refreeze it. Yeah. And yeah. then the problem is if you've had that cooked spag ball in the freezer, like I would have had, taken it out, defrosted it, um, cooked up a big pan, and then thought, oh, I can't eat all of that. I wouldn't refreeze that because you're kind of messing around with the temperature right, and I see, the yeah. the um too much so that's probably a, a no-no would you say it'd have to be completely defrosted as well or um the yeah so <laughs> i'm definitely in a rush i think the official line is yes <laughs> however <laughs> there's a couple of things you can do one thing is you can put it in a, a freezer bag and you can um put it into lukewarm water in the sink oh yeah that's a really good idea yeah. and it, it really speeds up the defrosting process, process. Yeah. um in a hurry and in a panic, I have been known to put a block of frozen mints into a really hot pan and just keep frying it and flipping it and scraping off <laughs> yeah. the mints. We've all done it's it. It's defrost. Um, I didn't die. I wouldn't recommend it as a kind of method of cooking. But because you're cooking the surface of it and and removing it and then cooking the, the other surface yeah. of it and keeping going, it's actually... It, and you're getting it up to a certain temperature, it, it would be fine. Right. But yeah. like, yeah, I'd, I'd probably recommend that you would um, defrost, you would defrost your mints. Yeah, I think for, for best results, just, you know, yeah. take it out, leave it in the fridge overnight yeah. um, and just cook it like a normal person, <laughs> or like a maniac. Yeah, not in a rush all the time. And yeah. what about like storing? So say like, would you say one freezer bag for like a bag bowl is okay or do you think you should put it in a few more or put it in Tupperware or...? Um, I think whatever suits you. I mean, I haven't got... I've got, like, a freezer that's at the top of the... Fr- so it's a separate freezer, but it's not very big. So I tend to just, like, portion stuff out and stack it up quite neatly because otherwise oh, you just end up... sounds with- like a dream. <laughs> <laughs> Mine needs to be more like that. But, yeah, because the thing is with tu- Tupperware is brilliant, but, like, it does get, it does get like, overcrowded quite quickly. So yeah. I think strong freezer bags for me are, like, the best, the dream. Basically. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Nice. But, yeah, and... Um, yeah, talking about that on our in in the issue, we've got, we've got some great um, recipes. recipes yeah. um, I think the one that you were talking about that you tried was the uh, mozzarella sticks, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, they were so great, like straight, crispy, still really gooey from the mozzarella, yeah. even though they've been frozen. They were 
amazing. But the the thing about these is they need they have to be frozen. Yeah, because, no, that's um, their best. So basically, what it is is you just you just take mozzarella, cut it into little kind of fat chip shapes, and then you egg and breadcrumb them, and then deep fry them. Um, once you've egg and breadcrumbed them, you put them onto trays and freeze them. So at this point, you can either leave them in for a few hours mm. till they're frozen and then go and deep fry them for your party or whatever. Yeah. Or you can transfer them to freezer bags so they'll bag oh, up really easy. nicely yeah, and yeah. they won't crunch against each other because they'll be frozen. And then um, you have to cook them from frozen because if you tried to cook them from fresh, the mozzarella would just kind of would just melt, melt instantly. Yeah, and it wouldn't be crispy enough, I suppose. Yeah, you get yeah. this incredible kind of crunchy exterior mm. and then like super melty so good uh, but where they're addictive and it's not it's not health food yeah so nice <laughs> limit yourself to like three or four yeah. if you can and we've got this lovely kind of smoky paprika and tomato dip yeah. to go with them oh so god it's good that is a good one for a party um really good and we've also another one of my favorites is um i'm a, I'm a little bit obsessed with chili you can mm. tell it's my recipe because it serves 10 <laughs> <laughs> you never know who's going to come around yeah exactly <laughs> um and I think things like chili and, you know, spag bol and curry really um, benefit from freezing. Like we didn't talk about that before, but it's almost like you've cooked it and then you freeze it. And the um, I think people find this, the spices kind of develop in the freezer. Yeah, 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 and yeah. it like matures. Yeah. So then when you eat it the second time, you're like, oh, that's oh even, God. the flavour's even deeper. <laughs> yeah. Is that possible? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and what we've done, we've made this... Um, it's kind of like ultimate black bean chili because I've nice. been I've been making chili for years and every time I do it I kind of find out different ways of zhuzhing it up. So this time I've got um, my special ingredients include uh, star anise yeah. and um, instant espresso powder, which gives it this really oh. kind of I don't know you can't taste it. It doesn't taste a coffee. It just gives it this really like richness. richness. Yeah, like I've super heard rich. People put like chocolate in their chili. Yeah, you can put chocolate in. I mean, what you need to do though is is not dairy milk, obviously. <laughs> you need to get a whole bar of whole nut. Yeah, that's what, that's where you get your super dark, almost a hundred percent cocoa chocolate, and you just put like a square or two in because otherwise it can be incredibly sweet. Like, yeah, I put a bit of soft brown sugar in. It's got similar vibe to it it just kind of gives you that sweet edge and takes off a little bit of the acidity but um yeah this this one's a real winner and um and also it comes with like scones because I just find like I love like when you go to America and you kind of get biscuits which are a bit like scones Ah. with like you know um stews and chilies and stuff Ah, so so we did um yeah we've done like a cheddar and a jalapeno scone for dipping so So nice and that changed for rice as well if you didn't want rice absolutely you can have rice with it or you can just have like um you could get tortillas and just scoop tortillas into it you know and have extra cheese on top you can have anything you want really but yeah. i just thought it's quite nice if you've got a crowd of people um you know like warm scones and chili is just yeah. such a lovely combination one um, question i was actually going to ask about yeah. it is um it says using dried beans yeah they give much better texture but you can use um ones out of a tin yeah so um why, why would the dry beans be um you know when it it, it sort of depends on the quality of your t- um uh, beans out of your tin because 
some some tin beans are really good quality. Other okay. ones can be a little bit mushy. A bit watery. Yeah, but for okay. preference, if you try the difference between a black bean chilli made with dried soaked beans and cooked in with... Right. What they do is they soak up all of the flavour because they're in there for the long, slow oh, cooking. Yeah, yeah. And they hold their shape and they've got a particular texture, which is lovely, against the sort oh. of sauce and the meat. It's just, it's just that little bit extra texture that doesn't... Whereas I think with tin beans, sometimes they can get a little bit mush. Mush, because so, that's yeah. all I've ever had used is tin beans. Yeah. Uh, it's definitely worth trying they mm. also add like depth of like color to the stew as well oh wow it's nice. because they lose like a little bit of their color so that like makes the sauce really deep mm. and brown as well so so it's like it's a winner for me really I and i think now and all like all you really need to do is soak them overnight there's no like there's Easy. no special extra thing that you need to do it's just put it in a bowl overnight and, and then it the next activates day activates them doesn't it um it just starts the, starts the cooking process so it starts because obviously they're they were a fresh bean then they've been dried all the moisture has been removed oh. so you need to put the moisture back okay. so what you're doing is you're starting that off and then when it goes into your stew um you're cooking them even further and eventually they come back to you know what wow. they were yeah that's really good <laughs> <laughs> interesting yeah um so yeah another thing we thought was was that people um coming along might like a little nibble so adam did this great one which is turkey stuffing and mm. cranberry sausage puffs which is really like a super posh sausage <laughs> roll they look cute though but they're really cute and it's a really nice thing to just put out with drinks yeah definitely a little canapé i didn't get to try them but they yeah and yeah, i mean you were asking before about things that freeze really well and i think pastry is just one of one those good. you know because the best thing about pastry is you freeze it and then you can just revive it in the yeah. oven. You know, you can either freeze it um, before cooking and then cook it fully, um, or you or you can um, you can cook it through and then just um, defrost and just hoy it in a um, hot oven for ten minutes to just give it you know give it a warm wash. But yeah, so do. Do go and get Denver issue. Try some of our freezer things. You know, like your get guests ahead. will love you. Yeah. Um, but yeah, thanks for talking about that, Amanda. Thanks, nice, nice to hear thanks your for freezer. The tips. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Cheers. And finally, here's Alex on Stockholm. Hello. And so the December issue is out, and we are starting to feel very festive, and we're thinking about weekends away. And I've just been reading the feature about Stockholm in the new issue. And it looks like the best place for a festive trip. Yes. Um, so I uh, went to Stockholm. Um, I actually went um, in like autumn time, but it's come out um, now. And there is lots of stuff to do because it's very, very cosy. Because uh, like Scandinavia in general, um, they really embrace the... Yeah the cold because <laughs> it's the dark. dark it's cold and I think um I think we in Britain could really take a leaf out of their book really because yeah. um that's why I love going to um Scandinavia in the in the winter because there's literally they don't really let anything get them down because it's freezing cold <laughs> it goes dark it's usually is only light for a few hours yeah. especially in the northern parts of the um scandinavia um but in stockholm literally everybody just sits out and they just have lots of blankets wrap up well yeah they do and um they just know they know how to dress <laughs> for the cold um and also there's it's so magical because um i've been to stockholm in the summer as well and it's beautiful and really um you can get some amazing summer days and all the seafood is incredible but 
in the winter, it's just got a really like ethereal, magical Lovely. feel mm. because um, there's candles everywhere and lanterns. Really? Yeah, and it's wow. just it's like a Christmas market, but without being twee. Yeah, but everywhere. But so it's just like a every cafe, every <laughs> restaurant, every courtyard. Um, yeah. And my like favorite little secret um, spot is um, the courtyard at Etem. So yeah. Etem means at home, and it's um, a hotel in um in the middle of Stockholm and it's just it's a stunning place like it's like a it's like an old house oh, right. um and they've got a, an open kitchen and you can watch um the chefs just sit like, around yeah you yeah. can watch chefs making your your lunch but what I loved most about it is they've got this beautiful courtyard and you can they have blankets and you can snuggle up under it with a glass of glog which is mulled wine and yeah and then you can have all of the dishes that are coming out the kitchen out there as well so yeah it's beautiful that sounds very cozy yes indeed and there's also a photo in the feature of some open flames what are they all about (laughs) yeah so that's um kind of another thing that Scandinavians are really you know they do really well is this open flame cooking and you know in the outdoors because they really embrace as I keep saying um their surroundings and there's a lot of a lot of trees obviously a lot of forest so um they really they like to get out there and cook on open fires um I actually interviewed and was lucky enough to meet Nicholas Ekstedt I've I've great pronunciation I've been told by (laughs) the man himself that that's the best way to pronounce it um and um he um I actually interviewed him a couple of weeks ago on the podcast so um everybody should go and listen to that because he was really interesting to speak to and his story is fab because he um he had uh like a almost like a molecular gastronomy restaurant wow. um and he was a big famous like tv yeah. chef in Didn't Sweden he quite young yeah well, he was yeah. A, oh, I can't remember his exact age but he was very, very young. young um and then he kind of packed it all in and he had um a young family so and he was living out in a place with no electricity and he was cooking over fire and then long story short he decided to open a restaurant um which was focused on this kind of cooking and um that's one of the other places in Stockholm that you have to visit if you're going it's called Ekstedt um after him and it's Michelin starred and um they use it's right in the centre and they use like birch and open fire pits and wood-fired ovens to create like these stunning new Nordic dishes which are really, really, really interesting and really encompass the the flavours of the yeah. countryside. So they have um, reindeer baked in embers and wow. birch-fired pork and wood-fired almond cakes. Yeah, that sounds so, amazing. Yeah, it's wow. really fab. Yeah, definitely recommend that. And another thing that caught my eye were the cinnamon buns, which of course they did. Big Ellie. Fans <laughs> of them. We are. Yeah. I don't know if anybody follows that Instagram page. Hopefully you do. If not, follow it. Um, and Ellie and I have got a bit of an obsession with cinnamon buns. Um, yeah. Any opportunity to have we one? Will. Yeah, we yeah. will. Travel we will definitely share it. And, yeah, well, obviously, Stockholm is one of the homes of cinnamon buns. I know Sweden and Finland very much argue over who originally founded the cinnamon (laughs) bun. And they are quite different. I find that, well, from my experience, um, the Swedish ones are a bit more... 
Squidgy, which, yeah. are, which are my preference. Yeah. Um, in Helsinki, I've been a few times and um, they're a little bit more doughy, like bread-like. Yes, yeah. That's obviously, that's not um, the, the case with all yeah. of them. just depends um, on the but, place. Um, I... The way I had a really great squidgy one, <laughs> love that word. I love it. Great is um, Il Cafe um, in Sodermalm, which is Stockholm Central Island. Um, right. There are actually a few Il Cafes, but um, I recommend this one because there's a great shop next door called Grandpa, and okay. it's like a concept store. Like it's nice. quite pricey, but it's an amazing place to get some stocking fillers. Um, yes. So if you're, you know, taking if you're going Christmas shopping, it's a really great place Good to idea. go. Um, and they have really, really squidgy cinnamon buns, and you can get um, filter coffee as well. So you can have your nice. fika, which is um, uh, of course Swedish afternoon tea. Lovely, um, because the Swedes are obsessed with coffee, and <laughs> um, they drink like something like seven cups a day, I think, on wow. average. Um, again, the Finns are the only people who rival them. Um, <laughs> Big rivalry going on. Yes. Um, but also another great spot is uh, Bagari Petrus, um, which is like a place where like the city chefs like to go and get their their bakes um and it's a tiny little spot again but you can sit in the window and watch people go by and you can sit outside but again you have to wrap up warm but yeah they they really cater to that um do do they do rye bread as well yes yeah Mm. so obviously um that's famous for that and they have an amazing if anybody's in stockholm um if you're in a restaurant or wherever you are, if you can ask for archipelago bread. What's that? It is absolutely <laughs> incredible. My cousin lives in Stockholm and he will back me up on this. I just couldn't, I just couldn't believe it. I asked for like four more An portions. Um, but it's this bread they make and it's, it's been around for years and years and years and it's like caramelised rye wow. bread. And they made it because they didn't, they needed to preserve it. So it needed to last quite a long time. Okay. So it's really like malty and caramelised. It's absolutely amazing. And they make that on the archipelago. So, but then they often have it in restaurants. So yeah, a little insider tip (laughs) there. Um, But in terms of cinnamon buns as well, they also, I didn't know this, but Fabrique, yes. which is our, probably our favourite cinnamon buns yeah, stop in I'd say uh, London. So. Um, they actually are a Swedish, which makes sense now. <laughs> They're actually Swedish okay. um, company and they started ah. in Stockholm. So I think they've got two or three in Stockholm. Yeah. Um, and it's definitely worth going there to try the real mm. deal. But yeah. The one in London's fab is not what there's loads now. Quite a few in London yeah. now, yeah. The one I went to was in Hoxton, I think. Yeah, so that was the original. Yes. Yeah. And um because mm. um I'm West London and our office is mm. West London, isn't it? So yeah. when I first found uh, they have <laughs> one on Portobello Road yes. and they also have them in the Monocle Cafe oh, on um in oh what's it called? Fitzrovia. Um <laughs> and I was so happy about yeah. that because they kind of opened without us realizing, without noticing. Really. Yeah, and you start seeing day. them pop up. Oh. <laughs> Where did so they yeah, come from? if you don't have the chance to go to mm. Stockholm, then you can definitely enjoy the best yeah. cinnamon buns in London and as well. And they are very squidgy. That's yeah, they are and cardamom they, as well. The cardamom, yeah, because yeah. you're a big cardamom fan, aren't you? I am. That's cardamom your... is is my my Go-to. thing. Um, you're are you more cinnamon? Well, I'm more cinnamon. Yeah. yeah. Okay, well, we'll agree to disagree. We had a very hot debate on our uh, social media channels a while ago. Um, so, yeah, if anybody, like, has very um, 
strong opinions about food, then you should get involved in our polls because they're yeah. always great fun, aren't they? Yeah. We have them on Twitter. They get very competitive. And- so. <laughs> and are there any other local spots that you think people should know about? Um, yeah, so Stockholm, I think, because I've visited not really as a tourist, more of like visiting family, Yeah, um, you kind of, you bypass a lot of the very like, famous places yeah um which um I, th- I i much prefer doing that um and i think stockholm sometimes people see it as a bit of a like you know a bit there's a lot of big institutions and it's not that you know local they prefer like mm. gothenburg and malmo for local but actually there's so many local spots yeah. um and there's a place called brasserie riche which has been an institution for years and years and years it's opened over a hundred years ago um and it's kind of it's evolved with the times as well it used to be a place for like the cultural elite and then now it's more it's amazing because um my cousin goes all the time and he said that you can see anyone from like an owner of a high fashion brand to like some like grubby like yeah, musician any, like yeah, boho and like of... yeah everybody just goes and has a great time and it's that's so lively. lively um and that's probably because they've got this incredible <laughs> thing called a hot shot yes what, um, is, what is that uh, that is not one for the faint hearted it's one definitely one for the beginning of a night out okay um it's a tiny glass um it's like a, a shooter glass yeah and it's filled with coffee liqueur and whipped cream wow um so it's coffee and then coffee liqueur and whipped cream so wow. it's, it's really intense. that sounds intense yeah um but they also do great um shellfish brunches mm-hmm. um for in the summer and then really like hearty like beef stews um with sauteed potatoes and things like that so Lovely. it's really fab yeah that was probably my favorite. and then also there's a place called meatballs for the people which a few people recommended to me yeah before i went swedish meatballs yeah of course yeah <laughs> they are apparently they're like the best and there's always queues i didn't actually get to go um but i've been told um by people who i trust that that's somewhere <laughs> next to go time so next time yeah definitely and are there obviously Christmas markets in Stockholm? Yeah, there, there are quite a few yeah. uh, because um, it's definitely a destination for Christmas markets. Yeah. Um, but the most traditional one and the, probably the best one is in Gamla Stan, which is Stockholm's old town. Okay. And you, also it's worth going there just to see the stunning like buildings because it's very... Um, stereotypical you know yeah. Swedish with the coloured houses and Amazing. um but they have lots of like the little tiny red stores and like the uh, wooden huts oh, uh lovely. selling like Swedish treats and reindeer and oh. blog and yeah it's so very nice warming. so that's open from 11am to 6pm if I'm correct every okay. day so and that's throughout December so definitely worth yeah, yeah. going but you've been doing some research haven't yeah, you about Christmas just, markets in the UK yeah so I've just been writing about all the ones that are happening, so Bath Christmas markets, that's Bath. quite similar. You've got the wooden hut, huts mm-hmm. and the fairy lights, but that's very much focused on local produce. So I think mm-hmm. over 60% of the stalls in Bath Market are all local food and drink. Yeah. They're really supporting. It's really worth going to that because I, I went to uni in Bath and I think a lot of people think that the Christmas market is just a bit twee and yeah. um, not good gonna... produce but actually if you go into it yeah. and you see the individual stores there is a lot of There's really lot good stuff because Christmas markets can be a bit tat sometimes yeah because you've got but... to 
yeah, you've got to choose the right one. Because I, I've got family in Manchester, so I always go to the Manchester mm-hmm. Christmas market, and they're that like? massive. Yeah, but um, it's kind of the same. If you avoid some and really get into it, then you'll find some good. Yeah. good mulled wine and well there's there's loads in in your guide so if yeah. everyone looks on on olivemagazine.com there's like winchester york, york salisbury, salisbury yeah all over the place all so, over yeah. well yeah thank thanks you for, thanks for quizzing me about Stockholm. you're welcome <laughs> Thank you to everybody on today's podcast and thank you for listening. If you want to learn more about anything we've been talking about, you can visit olivemagazine.com, buy the latest issue of Olive with a gorgeous mocha chocolate bark on the front cover in all good news agents and supermarkets now, or you can check us out on social media at Olive Magazine. If you have the time and inclination to review and rate us on iTunes this week, we'd be ever so grateful. Otherwise, until next time, thank you and goodbye. Goodbye.